Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. Welcome to Tales of the Justice Society of America, episode 17, if you can believe that. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. How's it going, brother? Ah, it's going great. I uh, just switched over from the Dr. Pepper to water because I can't drink diet sodas anymore that have aspartame. Mm. It does bad things to me. It makes me lightheaded. It's not good. <laughs> Aspartame's the devil, by the way. I mean, if you, seriously, if you if you want to see some shocking things, look up aspartame side effects. One of them is death. So, oh, that always sucks. That that totally <laughs> ruins my day when that happens. What I death? Yeah. yeah, I don't need that at all in my life. <laughs> all right. Well, since we had an absolute freaking monster last time, we're gonna try to keep it a little more under control, just a little more under control this time, and we're gonna dive straight into the emails. And we've got a, a good selection of them this time around. First one we've got is from our good buddy, Jose Rivera. This one is entitled Iceberg Head, Improving Interiors and Cover Art. He says, hey guys, he says, I have to start off with the hostess ad. Scott, when you said the words, I am Iceberg Head, I burst into a fit of laughter. Ha ha, mission accomplished. <laughs> he said, granted, I saw the image on the Two True Freaks site as you read it, but I could not believe that was his name. Yes, by the way, we um, post up those hostess ads. If you go, if you download the show or just go to the Two True Freaks main page, it's Two True Freaks, all one word, twotruefreaks.libsyn, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. If you go there every week when the show gets put up, there's a, a really beautiful image that, that Mike makes a new one every week that has that week's episode issue cover on it. And then I've been attaching the, uh, the hostess uh, ads when we do hostess ads, and they're oh they're they're just hysterical. So then let, you've got let, the image let's to go be honest with. real quick. I'm sorry to walk <laughs> all over you. <clears throat> it's not a beautiful image at all. I have no skills with Photoshop. So. <laughs> well, it is because it, it's it's that week's issue that we're covering, and I, I mean I don't think there's been a bad cover yet, has there? I, I mean I've I've liked all the covers. I mean some are better than others, obviously. I've liked the covers. It's just I'm not. It, it's not like I'm Chris Honeywell who does epic freaking images for you. Oh well, yeah. Well, friends. nobody can do what 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 Chris does. But I mean, I'm I'm still I'm envious of the both of you because my Photoshop skills non-existent. So. <laughs> <laughs> I am I am in awe of of the both of you. Anyway, where did I where the hell did I leave off in this email here? Uh, let's see. Okay, he says, I find it funny that the caption said that Aqualad arrives with a plan, considering it was Mira 
who suggested bringing the cupcakes to the ocean. But that isn't as bad as this thought was. Think about it for a second. Mira had to get those cupcakes somehow, which meant she had to go on land, go to a store, and buy them. I can see the clerk giving her a weird look and having to explain herself. Oh, they're for my husband. He's Aquaman. Right now, he's locked in an underwater battle with a nefarious iceberg head, and only these hostess cupcakes can save him. To which the clerk, who in all likelihood has uh, was pulling a double shift, just backed him, handed it to her, and said, Get out! <laughs> <laughs> you you, you oh, need to leave, like, right now. I love it. Scaredy! Freaking now. So, there you go. Oh, I love it. Uh, he continues, this issue of All-Star was really good. It did several things uh, I love about comics of this time. It told a done-in-one story, but also managed to pick up on the threads of previous issues while getting your attention to buy the next issue with an interesting reveal at the end. Staten's use of shadows with both the Huntress and Superman on page 13 really made me appreciate him as an artist. There's not much for me to say uh, about the actual issue because you guys covered it so well. Oh, thank you. This is another thing I loved about this issue, the cover. Uh, thanks to this show and from Crisis to Crisis, I've been spending a lot of time on Mike's amazing world of DC Comics. Cool. And while looking through the covers of that month in comics, it occurred to me that cover art is in fact uh or that cover art, rather, is in fact a lost art. I definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. The covers from this time were not only filled with some of my favorite artists like Aparo and Garcia Lopez, but they were cover- colorful. They were dynamic, and I, uh, and I want them, especially the Flash issues. I loved the Batman and Superman family comics. Sure, they weren't always amazing, but you got a bang for your buck. Hell, anything that was a dollar comic was a bang for your buck. Yes. And it's, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely agree with that. In a time when we know what's uh, going to happen in a comic three months before it comes out, thanks to solicitations, or when a major surprise is spoiled uh, in a side book because the main book got delayed, it's nice to see a simpler time in comics when they were fun, affordable, and made for lazy Saturday afternoons when you could curl up with a good issue. Jose Rivera. Man, he nailed that Totally, hey, but it was man. Back. Yep, absolutely, no damn doubt. And those dollar books—they were a good deal because there were so many pages that they were so densely packed with material that you could actually get crappy stories in in a, you know, like take Superman Family for example. You know, there could be a couple stories in there that either maybe they sucked. Or maybe you just didn't have any interest in it, so you skipped it. But you didn't feel gypped, you know? There was so much other great content in there, and it was only a dollar, that you totally felt like you got your money's worth out of it. I, I, I God, I wish comics could be more like that today. Yeah, no doubt. Absolutely. All right, moving on to one from Steve Rogers, which isn't as volatile as last week's. Um <laughs> This is actually one of the first ones he sent to us. It says, 10 episodes late, but I think it's an interesting discussion. Hey, Mike and the guy who hates the Chris Nolan Batman films. Oh, he's got to just call me out like that. God damn it. 
Sorry, Scott, just having some fun there. Yeah, I know this is a response to Episode 5, but since I'm Michael's age, roughly anyway, I thought I'd throw in a bit of the two cents of a bit of two cents into things. It may be it may really be a generational thing, and I do see comic shops that just happen to have sports cards on display as opposed to vice versa. But I think it sort of goes hand in hands in terms of oh, kids like to collect this. So it would reason that they'd like to collect that. Now, okay, Hostess wasn't then going to promote a collecting rare coins, stamps, antique faces, or whatever else people choose as their collecting hobby. But for the late 1970s, and certainly a decade later when I started my sports cards and memorabilia hobby, that certain collectibles went hand in hand. I'm sure as well the idea was there that sports and superhero adventures were synonymous. You guys, you guys may not think so, but I'm pretty sure there were plenty of kids that saw no difference between, oh, Barry Allen and Marcus Allen, Pete Rose and Oliver Queen, or whatnot. The biggest names in sports were there, and still are, I'd presume, to kids, larger-than-life figures, who are real as opposed to fictional characters, so it was like living comic books. Hell, the media themselves loved to play up correlation between sports stars and comic book superheroes all the time, as this image of Mets Buds Harrelson will attest, and he has an image to a picture of a baseball player with a Superman shirt on underneath at least i think that's what it is that was taken the day after harrelson a rather lightweight fellow went toe-to-toe with pete ross who was built like a heavyweight pete champion Ro- pete rose pete ross <laughs> it could have been pete Ro- ross uh with pete rose who was built like a heavyweight champion in 1973 uh by the way i was searching for an illustration of mets hall of fame pitcher stunts tom Seaver in the mets championship season of 1969 the amazing mets where the illustrator had Seaver pull open his shirt to reveal a familiar blue shirt with a very famous yellow and red symbol, but couldn't find it. Uh, the Flash symbol? That doesn't go on blue. Um, not sure where it was from either. Also, another side tangent. In the late 1940s, early 1950s, the New York Yankees had a fellow who was studying to be a medical doctor rooming with Yogi Berra, a hard scrabble kid from St. Louis who, at least at the time, enjoyed comic books. Yogi's roommate told him that he was reading a textbook at the same time Yogi was reading one of his comic books, to which Yogi replied, how did yours turn out? It should be noted that the non-sports trading card hobby, while not nearly what it would be since 1990, was was there in that time. Tops had the Star Wars license, the Superman movie license, and so on. Card sets were produced for everything from Welcome Back Cotter to the Beatles to Batman and Star Trek. So again, it probably made sense to advertisers that kids, as well as teens and adults who read comics, that collected comic books must therefore be interested in collecting other things like trading cards. Actually, thinking about it a bit, I'm a bit surprised at how taken aback you guys have been with the ads. Yes, there is a reason the stereotype exists. Hell, even in the sports card trade, dealers do look like real versions of the Simpsons comic book guy. Worst trading card ever. But I would think that those ads could be taken as a sign that DC wasn't going to perpetuate the stereotype of the sickly shut-ins are the only ones enjoying these things. As well as a way of saying, hey kids, glad you're reading this, but go out and have a healthy lifestyle. Okay, so having hostess ads doesn't help in that regard, but I think placing the trading cards ads in those issues were part of advancing the idea of comic book fans being more well-rounded, well, I am very well-rounded, and into other things besides superhero comics. Anyway, just wanted to chime in on that discussion, Steve. I just want to say that comics are for sickly shut-ins, and that's it. And if you're not a sickly shut-in, then get the hell out. 
And uh, yeah, we were both aware that Tops had the Star Wars. <laughs> Super- <laughs> what so, inspired this? We were talking about it was sad with the baseball no, it, cards. Was yeah, that- and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, and us making fun of like the bodybuilding ads. <laughs> I guess not understanding that while we were speaking the truth, we were also kind of kidding. So. Right. But uh, I have actually, I have the the both series of the first Superman movie top set. I'm missing one sticker out of the first series. <laughs> uh, I have all of Superman 2 and Superman 3. I even have the Supergirl sticker set that came out. <laughs> and you have all of the Star Wars sets, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yep. I was I big, 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 big into... Uh into non-sports well, cards. Well, didn't, like, freaking Ice Castles have a Tops trading oh, card God, set? I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, every, <laughs> every, everything that came out at them, even stuff where you're like, nobody's going to buy that, had sports cards, or, you know, non-sports non trading cards. It was just crazy. Absolutely freaking crazy. But, yeah. I'm a big oh. fan of non-sports trading cards. I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of non-sports trading cards. <sighs> Baseball <laughs> cards, not so much, but there you go. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Who do we got one from now? This one is from Jesse Garrett. Ah, okay, yeah, here we go. His is entitled Commissioner Bruce Wayne. How? It says, hey guys, I just finished up with episode 14, and a random thought occurred to me. I'm not as familiar with the Earth 2 Batman, but if his backstory is similar to his Earth 1 counterpart, how did he become Commissioner of GCPD? Batman no doubt has the skills and knowledge, but to the public, Bruce Wayne is a rich playboy. Stress, rich, playboy. Such a position would require intensive experience on the force and strong credentials. Even if he started out as a beat cop after retiring as Batman, I don't believe the time frame is very plausible. Of course, I'm more than likely reading too much into, uh, but just wondering if you guys had any ideas. Yeah, um, money talks, bullshit walks. That's pretty much, you know, he's filthy freaking rich. He could just buy his way in, more than likely. Well, let's, let's go at it from another angle, too. Yes... He is a rich playboy, and especially played up the kind of foppish playboy persona. But it always struck to me that Bruce Wayne was constantly doing shit for the city. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you know, orphanages, charities, stuff like that. And Commissioner, is that maybe something in Gotham City's charter as a city is that the Commissioner is appointed. Mm -hmm. So... He was friends with Jim Gordon, and I believe in any reality, Jim Gordon knew that Batman was Bruce Wayne. Had to. I don't know. I'm a big big believer in that. Uh, But anyways, despite that, they were good friends. So if the mayor was the one that appointed the commissioner uh, position, maybe Jim Gordon's like, you know, hey, Mayor Putsy Wutz, you know, Bruce Wayne has given a lot to the city. He feels very strongly about it. I think he'd be a good commissioner. And, by the way, how's your retirement package? (laughs) Now, I don't think Bruce Wayne would buy his way into political office. Oh, absolutely I do. Absolutely. Well, well, then again, 
the 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 Earth Two Batman, especially of this era, is a lot different from like our modern Batman. Yeah. But the modern Batman, being the control freak that he is, I could totally see him doing that. If he thought that his war would be better served by him being in that position, I could totally see him using his you know his resources to achieve that end. I could totally buy that. Yeah. But this version, I don't know. I don't know if he would do that or not. But, you know, even as a kid, I never really had the impression that that police commissioner was something that you worked your way up through the ranks to achieve. Am I wrong in that? I don't know. You know, like, because there's, like, you know, chief of police, commissioner... And then you get into like sheriffs and marshals, and it's just I don't I don't know how it works. I, mean, I would swear that as I've been driving around, you know, at election time, you know, like local election time, that I've seen signs that says, you know, vote for you know Joe Schmo for city police commissioner. So I just always if have it's an a- elected uh, position, then Bruce Wayne threw his money into a campaign. Right. Right. Well, what I'm saying though is, I, I just I've always had that impression that that was more something that that anybody could could do if you could just get elected to it. I really never thought that that was something that you had to, you know, actually join the force and go through all the training and be a you know be a cop and work your way up. I I always thought that that was an elected thing, but I I could be dead wrong. I know very little about it and really just talking out my ass. It would be great, though, if his campaign slogan was, sure, I'm a playboy, but how good is the police force in this, in this city if Batman has to bail everyone out? <laughs> I'll put a bat in every oven or something like that. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, what do we got next? Uh, he's got a little bit more in his email. Oh, yes, he does. He says, also... I know the matter of aging gets played around with later, but I was wondering if it gets addressed in the series proper or only during flashback or retcons. Um, as far as like just the characters getting older, is that what he's... Yeah, that's addressed a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it's come up quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that, you know, we get... I, I, I'm, I'll admit I'm not sure I understand your question. As far as... Like, does somebody end up spending time, like, lamenting, like, oh, geez, I'm really getting old, or or is it just, you know, arbitrarily yeah. discussed or whatever? I mean, I, it, it comes up, and it's, it's, it's always one of those things that's just kind of in the room, because you look at these guys, you know, like, especially when you see uh, Bruce Wayne or you see Superman, you know, they are visibly older than their earth one counterparts, you know, they're, they're older men. They've got a lot of gray on them and they've, they've got some years on them kind of thing. Whether that comes up as an actual story point. Um, I would say arguably yes with, uh, with Bruce Wayne in particular, but I, I don't yeah. want to give away too much on that, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely part of their makeup as characters. All righty. Moving on to another one from Steve Rogers who says, all right, argument shit out of the way, let's talk some JSA. Mm-hmm. Wow, did not mean to rhyme there, he says. All right, with that <laughs> previous email off my chest, which you can hear in, if this was an editor's note, there would be an asterisk uh, last episode. Just wanted to ask if you guys have given any thought of covering the crossovers with the JLA. Or no. Even going... 
or even going back to before All-Star 58 and covering stuff like Flash number 121 and other appearances of Silver and Bronze Age Earth 2. Yes to crossovers with the JLA that go from All-Star 58 forward. No to going backwards. I think that's right. That sounds about right. All right, maybe not in a blow-by-blow format with like with All-Star and AS Squadron, but in brief synopsis form. I ask this in the same vein of Scott's suggestion uh, for From Crisis to Crisis. Oh, that has come back to bite me in the ass so badly, hasn't it? Own your subject matter. Leave no stone unturned in covering the JSA and their post-Golden Age glory. We're not going to go before because we just have no, no real interest. We picked a date. We're going forward, uh, and we will be covering just about everything that we can we can uh that we know to cover Mm -hmm. or if you'd like i could be the john wilson iirc that is the fctc researcher of the show combining mike's amazing dc indexes and the gcd grand comic database i guess for any and all appearances of earth 2 characters through the years before all-star number 58 i expect to be paid a your people will hear from my people well, you'll get paid as much as we do for doing this. <laughs> I say knock yourself out, dude. I mean, if, if you know, I welcome anybody that wants to point out where we may have missed appearances of these characters somewhere. I want to know that shit. Don't feel like, you know, that we're going to be like, you know, I don't know, offended or, or embarrassed or whatever. I mean, I'll freely admit that I'm sure that there's stories out there where some JSA are appeared and I'm just not aware of it. I, I want to know. So please, you know, anybody that has, you know, a, a list of anything we may have missed or, or that we miss in the future along the way, let, let us know. I'd love to know that because I, I like to collect these appearances of these people. And, you know, so it's a, it's a twofold reason. I'd like to cover it on the show and I'd like to have it in my own collection. So let us, let us know. Absolutely. Okay. Let's see. I got the next one, right? Yes. And we got one from, oh, for Stan Johnson. Now, he's the guy that's directing the new Captain America movie, right? No, that's Joe Johnston. Ah, Joe, Stan, it's all the same thing. All right. He says, who smells worse, Solomon Grundy or Swamp Thing? And we discussed this before the show, and I got to go with Solomon Grundy just because he's a big dead guy. And dead guys tend to stank. What do you think? Uh, I'll go with that now. I okay. mean, Swamp Thing, like you said, can change himself to smell like sweet-smelling flowers. <laughs> well, that was later, but yeah, that was my argument, was that, you know, later on, when he could grow himself out of the ground and stuff, you know, he could, you know, he could come up, you know, out, out of a bed of roses or, or whatever. But yeah, during that, during this time, yeah, he probably didn't smell all that terrific either. Anyway... He says, once more, apologies for the length. He says, eventually I'll comment on one episode at a time. I promise. He says, oh, no problem. I, I like the longer emails. That's cool by me. See. He, sa- he says, you guys have mentioned how much you both like Joe Staten's artwork. I have always found him adequate, but never really liked his work. His style is a little too cartoony for me, but at the same time... Uh, I can think of plenty of other artists whose styles I like much less. Insert any manga influence artist name here. Oh, I love this guy. Joe Maduria, Roberto <laughs> Ramos. Oh, there is a laundry list of, of guys that, yeah, go on that. Uh, he says, that said, 
I think Bob Layton's inks were well suited to Staten on these issues of All-Star and definitely better than the last couple of issues of the series inked by Joe Gaiella. Oh, I don't remember that. Yeah, see, it's been a while since I've read these, so... Uh... Ah, oh, now he ruined it for me because I didn't realize that that Bob Layton ruins that that he leaves the book. That that's that's gonna be disappointing. Because yeah, I, I agree that Bob Layton really suits Staten's art. I believe. Anyway, he continues. Uh, I totally get what Scott said about the kids reading manga. I have a niece who reads it and have been totally unsuccessful in getting her to try a real comic. To make it worse, both my kids watch anime. I've tried for years to get them into Warner Brothers or Hanna-Barbera, even Disney. Uh, But if it doesn't have enormous eyes, they aren't interested. Not sure where I went wrong as a parent. I'm sorry, dude. That totally sucks. (laughs) Well, you know, there's always eBay. You know, put them up there. If you're young enough, you can just start over, you know. (laughs) You know, try, try again kind of thing. Don't give up. You can can raise the kid successfully. You can do it. I have faith in you. Anyway, Michael, regarding your question, we're going to get letters. I, I just know it. What the hell kind of advice are you giving to people? Um, anyway, Michael, uh, I just let me say, Tales of the JSA does not support putting your children on eBay. Right? Let me just. Get Nor that. do we support selling them to black market slavers, or just generally doing creepy things to them. Exactly. Exactly. Um. So what kind of world do we live in that we have to make such a – I mean it's just – it's like that fucking thing on the top of McDonald's coffee. Caution. Contents are hot. No shit. Sorry. I'll stop. <laughs> My favorite one is the one that's on hair dryers that tells you don't use it into the shower. Actually, I really, really wish that they would pass legislation to make that go away because I think if you're fucking stupid <laughs> enough to use it in the shower – then go for it, brother, because we don't need you in the world. You know what <laughs> I mean? The gene pool. Exactly. <laughs> Let's do a little bit of fucking cleansing and get those people the hell out of the gene pool, okay? Yeah, there's ethnic cleansing, and then there's intellectual cleansing. Exactly. <laughs> and I think we could do for a little bit of scrubbing right about now. Anyway, we really are going to get some letters. <laughs> he says, Michael... Regarding your question about my subscription service back in the day, he says, I really don't remember the name of the service or services I use. Not Westfield or Mile High, though. I do remember that the first one was in North Carolina, and I always had the impression that it was a side business being run out of someone's home because anytime I had to call them about uh, something, no email back then, there was a kid making noise in the background. I don't really care because I was saving 30% off that uh, whopping 40 cent cover price. I have looked through the ads in comics from that time period to see if any, uh, to see if something sparked a memory, but nothing did. I do remember buying a lot of my back issues from J and S comics in Red Bank, New Jersey and other comic related stuff, sketchbooks, prints, etc., from Robert Bell in Coral Springs, Florida. That J and S comics in Red Bank, I wonder if that's the one that Kevin Smith bought and that's his It's J and Silent Bob's Secret yeah. Stash. Okay. But, yeah, that's what I was But J and S could have been another one if it was before this. But I would like for just a couple just a couple seconds to to do an impersonation mm-hmm. of what this experience must have been like for Stan. Hello? 
Yeah, um, my name is Michael Bailey. I uh, am one of your customers. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you shut the fuck up? I am on the phone. <laughs> I am on the goddamn phone. Get off the couch. Get off the couch. One second, one second. Get off the couch right now. I'm, I'm going to beat your ass. I'm gonna... One. One. All right, all right, what's wrong? Yeah, my Amazing Spider-Man uh, didn't come in my thing. Oh, yeah, Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I got shorted on that. I just got some. It... Shut up! <laughs> God! Ah, <sighs> oh, my God. Let's see here. He's, he goes on to say, you are so right. Love those old Brave and the Bold comics. Uh, the one-and-done format was perfect, and the series exposed me to characters I might not have seen otherwise. DC Comics Presents and Marvel Team-Up and 2-in-1 also did the same thing, although Brave and the Bold typically featured the more offbeat team-ups. Scott is right. It was around the time... Let me back up. Scott is right. It was around the time... Let me back up one more time. Scott is right. I just like saying that. I like hearing that, actually. That's awesome. I just it's don't It's the only time that. you're going to hear it. Ah, uh, fuck you too. Says there was around the time of Man Without Fear that John Romita's John Romita Jr.'s style went apeshit. I don't hate his current style, but I am not really fond of it either. He was one of my favorite artists in the '80s, and his runs on Iron Man with Bob Layton and Amazing Spider-Man with Dan Green are still the high water marks on those characters for me. Now. Yeah, I mean, I'm all about the older John Romita Jr. stuff. You know, I, I think back in the day, I think he was a fantastic artist, uh, particularly the Iron Man that you mentioned, the Iron Man with yeah. Bob Layton as the as the inker. That stuff is freaking amazing, and that's why it kills me that he just, I don't know, I hate to say lost it, but he lost me is what he lost. I just can't stand his new style. But yeah, uh, you know, I I don't begrudge him the original stuff that he was doing. That's some damn fine artwork. Um, he goes on to say, I love the idea of a show discussing the ins and outs of back issue collecting. I don't have a lot of luck at flea markets, but I do find some good deals at yard sales occasionally. Oh, you're lucky because, man, I, you know, there's a thing that they do in Alabama, which is not far from where I live. You know, the state lines is really just a few miles from here. They have an entire like stretch of road that goes across the state, and once or twice a year, they do this event where everybody just you know it's like bring out your dead, and they bring out all their shit from their basement or whatever, and it's like a statewide yard sale that you you just drive across the state on this one road and hit yard sale after yard sale after yard sale. I did that one time. And spent like an entire day doing it, hunting comics, nothing. No, it was the biggest friggin' waste of time in my life. And I thought I would have all these great scores and everything. So I, I miss the days when you could find comics at yard sales. I haven't found a comic at a yard sale in years, literally. So I, I envy you that. Um, anyway, he goes on to say, I bought a long box of uh, full of late 70s DC stuff last summer for five bucks. Oh, my God. That's awesome. This is a lot of it was issues I already had. Wait, 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 wait. Another impression. Uh, okay, how much are the comics? Well, I got a whole box of them right here. Uh, I think these are worth a lot of money. Uh, 
How about a hundred? How about five? Sold. <laughs> <laughs> this is all shit. I'll give you five dollars. <laughs> so a lot of it was issues I already had, uh, but I did manage to fill a couple dozen holes in my collection. Well, there you go. Since I enjoy diving into the quarter bins as well, and anytime I'm out of town, I'm out of town. I try to hit at least one comic shop if there's one around. I found quite a few comics at used bookstores as well, although there aren't nearly as many of those as there used to be. That's true. Since I found, uh, I've heard of people finding good things at Goodwill and consignment shops too, but I've never tried either of those. That is a good idea. Because the new fun comics number six that I used to have, I got from a, uh, it was like an antique slash consignment shop. So yeah, I highly recommend those. Although again, I haven't gotten a good deal at one of those places in a long time either. But you never know. I mean, I, I find that it's it's the the creepier the dive a lot of times with those like antique type places, secondhand shops. Sometimes the better. You know, because they'll have shit that they've been holding on for forever because it's kind of a creepy looking place that not a lot of people frequent. And it can be a good place to find, you know, the, those those older back issues or whatever. Remember, the worse the smell, the better the find. There you go. Says, dude, you never. Oh, he's talking to you. He says, you never heard the phrase pocket pool before. From what my mom tells me, I could have joined the pro tour by the age of eight. <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. Just uh, never came up in conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I love that though. It says, what do you guys think of the, or uh, what do you think rather the iPad will mean for digital comics? I think it or something very like it is going to mean Scott stops buying new comics and starts just reading the, the CBRs. That's what I think it means for me personally. Yeah, I, I was actually thinking of that the other day, that that I that unless it's like a particular character, I probably would not buy new ones because I used to be like I'd walk away. But I got to think about what you said, and if I can get like a, a – like, like if I had a friend who had a bunch of CBRs on DVDs who would burn me copies of those – and I could put those on an iPad, and I could just walk around anywhere and just sit there and read it. Mm-hmm. I'd be up for that. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll go you one better. I, I think that uh, I think that that sort of thing might hail the beginning of the end of the paper comic, as far as a, a, a highly sought after, highly desired back issue, you know, like what we're doing, you know, collecting back issues and amassing okay. these giant collections of, of the actual paper thing. I, I, I really do. I've been thinking about that too. And this is what I think is going to happen. And this is something you and I really need to pay attention to. If that happens, if the back issue market completely deteriorates and people are just unloading comics for an ungodly low sum of money, Mm-hmm. So we need to like knock over a liquor store or whatever. There you go. I but, hate but, liquor stores. We can do that. But, but here's what here's my theory though. By the time I'm like in my fifties and you're in your sixties, shit about from the nineties. You're in your sixties and I'm in my fifties, huh? What about that scenario? If you want to live in that dream world, <laughs> that's fine. But here's my theory. I have a feeling that people are just going to start throwing that shit away. 
Mm-hmm. Because they're going to think this is worthless. Right. And when we're like in our senior years, the shitty copy of New Warriors number one is going to be worth thousands of dollars. And that's how we fund our retirement. Wait, all right, and you lost me at that part. How is the New Warriors thing going to be worth it? Because anything? it's going to be rare. Because people are going to start tossing things. Oh, uh, I got you. I got you. I got you. That's, I don't know. You, you had me up to the point where people start unloading shit. Because I can see that happening because I'd had the same idea in my own head. That I'm, I'm really going to start having to pay, for the first time in a lot of years, I'm going to have to start paying attention to the back issue market again. And, and watching how trends are going. Mm-hmm. And if it looks like it's going that way. I don't know. It's going to be tough. It's because it, it's going to have to be one of those things you gotta you gotta strike while the iron is hot. You know. Yeah, we're gonna we're we're gonna have to jump on it as soon as it happens. Right. But it'll pay dividends later. I think. I don't know. You you could very well be right. You could very well be right. I, I don't know. But yeah, my my initial thought was, well, you know, the the foregone conclusion for me, the one thing that is is an absolute surety is as soon as the iPad or something very like it is affordable to the Gardner household, I'm serious as a heart attack. I'm fucking done. You know, I'm, I'm done buying new comics. I'm totally content to own CBRs. I already have, you know, over 200 discs of both, you know, CDs and DVDs full of comics. I've got more shit than I'll ever be able to read. And I've just been waiting for something like this to come along to where I can, you know, lay in bed or, you know, uh, wherever, you know, at the doctor's office or whatever the hell and, and have my little Star Trekky device where I can read my comics on. I've been waiting for this <laughs> shit to come along and now it's actually here. So, yeah, that that's part one. And part two is the other thing of, you know, I've never known. I've never had a clear plan for what where was my comic collection headed? You know, what was I eventually going to do with it? I mean, I didn't have a plan. The, the plan was pretty much one day I'll die and it's somebody else's fucking headache, you know. But, you know, there there is a substantial dollar amount attached to a large collection. There's no denying it. And if there's a chance that that dollar amount is going to suddenly fucking head south because of the invention of one of these things like the iPad, then, you know, I think that I'd be an absolute fool to sit here and let that investment go down the shitter. I think that it's a, it's a matter of, you know, it would, it would hurt me to have to, you know, get rid of things. But like I say, you know, if, if if you've got something that's worth a certain amount of money and you let that opportunity slide by you to where it's now worth a fraction of that, then I I think that's the very definition of foolish myself. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be a tough decision to make, but that that's where my mind is at in this whole thing. But you know, I'm excited about it. I think it's really I think it's cool. I think it's uh, it's a really awesome new thing. And uh, you know, I, a while ago I, I would have even thrown out some concerns about you know what does this mean for the because I've heard that a lot lately. What is this going to mean for the industry? What is it going to mean for the industry? You know. With the way the industry has treated us, the long-term fans that that have supported it and stood by it through just absolutely idiotic decisions over the years and and the good times and the bad times and the tears and everything else, 
the way they've treated us in these past couple of years with the shit they've done to like Spider-Man and Superman and all these other iconic characters, I say fuck the industry. I don't care at this point. Yeah, I was just thinking the same thing, actually. I, yeah, I know that sounds really harsh, but I don't have any devotion to them anymore because the guys I gave a shit about that were, you know, the, the decision makers back in my heyday of comics, they've all moved on anyway. So guys like fucking Dan DiDio and and uh, Joe Casada and Jeff Johns and all these other assholes, I don't care what happens to them if they're out of a fucking job tomorrow. I really don't. And if that makes me a bitter old man, then, then it does. I don't give a shit, you know? They fucked me over, and, and yeah, I'm bitter about it. So piss on them. Anyway, Stan wraps up by saying, I have tried several of the iPhone apps for comics, but the screen size is not ideal for the medium. However, I am hopeful that the iPad will prove to be a more suitable device. I only buy a handful of new comics, and those are out of loyalty to certain characters, but it would be nice to have a library of digital back issues at my fingertips anytime I wanted to read them. I'd even obtain them legally if they were made available at a reasonable price. Okay, enough for now. Thanks for the entertainment and laughter. Stan, what are you laughing at us? They're all going to laugh at you! I can understand laughing at you, because, I mean, you're just one just goofy-looking some bitch. but, you know, don't, don't laugh at me, man. You'll hurt my feelings. Anyway. So, so when you're fucking off and dying, <laughs> do, you, do you do that in a car? Or do you just walk? I'm just curious. Anyways. Uh, last but not least, we... I think... Did we begin with Jose? Are we ending with Jose, too? Awesome. Uh, anyways, this is from Jose <laughs> Rivera. It says, hey, guys. Uh, it says, Fantastic 15. Hey, guys. Yeah, that that team just sucked. Oh, God. <laughs> anyways, it says, hey, guys. Just listen to the episode. Thank you for covering Absolute Justice and Brave and the Bold. Scott, the woman in the painting was, bl- was a blonde and was, in fact, Black Canary. If I had one criticism, it was the guy who played Icicle. He was a little young and came off like your standard CW actor. Well, it was on the CW, so there you go. Okay, if we were doing dream casting and supposing she was still alive, Nell Carter would have made a great Amanda Waller. She dead? But, yeah, she's dead. Hmm. Not just for her build, but she has an air of authority, and I will agree, Dana Delaney, hot. Uh-huh. Michael brought up a really good point. <sighs> I've got to start over again. Michael brought up a really good point. Oh god, my my throat's just catching. Michael Cut it out. Up a really good. <laughs> you did it. I'm doing it too. Yeah, but I don't hear mine near enough though. Neither uh, like I do. People uh, people lavish undeserved praise on you all the time. Damn it. Oh god, I hate you. <laughs> um, Michael brought up a really good point about Brave and the Bold introducing a larger audience to the DCU. I watch it regularly, but I have two major problems with this show. One, for every one good episode that will feature the JSA, Ted Cord Blue Beetle, Ted Cord Blue Beetle, or Batmite, we have three just god awful episodes that leave leave a bad taste in my mouth. Watch the episode with the Huntress to see how truly awful it gets. Two, most of the episodes feature the same guest stars in Green Arrow, Aquaman, and the Jamie Reyes Blue Beetle. These aren't bad characters per se, but I'm sick of always seeing them on this show, while interesting characters like Enemy Ace, Detective Chimp, and the Challengers of the Unknown are relegated to cold opening fodder. Also, I'm so sick of all the heroes kissing Batman's ass on the show. I will agree with that, too. (laughs) I'm serious. Mm -hmm. Whoever designed this show... 
I, I think they have like a life-size Batman doll that they go down on every, you know, oh. every time they're getting ready to write a new show. Uh, everyone else does it these days. I don't need it in my cartoons, too. On the subject of the Huntress, I'm growing fond of the original version. I've grown up with the post-crisis Huntress uh, and was aware of her pre-crisis origin, but to get to read her stories and see how the writers took an interesting concept and allowed the character to grow, awesome. Now that you mention it, Catwoman should always be Batman's greatest love. She represents a path Bruce could have gone down had he not channeled his anger into beating people mercilessly every (laughs) night. <laughs> um, sorry, that's my editorializing. I apologize. But she also represents how someone could come back from the brink. When you find out they had a daughter, and eventually what happened to Catwoman, it really drives home your point that the Earth 2 stories were only limited by the minds of the writer's imagination. This didn't feel like a change in format for an episode. When you guys shake up the show, it's usually in subtle ways. So if you have any more cha- changes, bring them on. Jose A. Rivera. Thank you, Jose. Which I look at and sometimes want to, want to say, Josea Rivera. <laughs> now, uh, like the guy. He said something about changing. The, did we change the format that episode? We said it was a very special episode, and you're like, no, 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 don't say that, because every time I listen to a podcast, it says, oh, this is a special episode. It sucks. That's right. You're right. Wow. You with the memory, dude. Yeah, but I can't remember a damn thing I say on any of these podcasts. <laughs> there you go. Well, at least you're listening to me. That's the important part of the show anyway. <sighs> yes, it's all about you. It is all about – well, I'm, I'm man, can you talk to my wife and, and convince her? Because I've been trying for like 15 years, dude. I'm glad you've got it in such short order, though. That's awesome. Uh, Are we all right. ready to dig into this issue? Ah, what a good issue it is. It is a good issue, and I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit to get to it. So here we go. This is All-Star Comics number 71, the March-April 1978 issue. Now, according to info I dug up on this one, the cover is by Joe Staten, and the inker is uh, Klaus Jansen. Now, I don't see that in this, but that's what... Some or other. Wait, there's Daredevil. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, Written by Paul Levitz, penciled by Joe Staten, inked by Bob Layton. Ben Odo was the letter, Adrian Roy color, and Joe Orlando was the editor. Story entitled The Deadliest Game in Town. Roll call for this issue. There is none, once again, but I sort of half-ass made one up for you. It's basically just the Star-Spangled Kid, Wildcat, and the Huntress. And there are a ton of assorted cameos throughout the issue, but they're pretty much the only regulars in the book. The story in this one. Okay. Cornered and held at point-blank gunpoint, the Star-Spangled Kid, Wildcat, and the Huntress still managed to gain the upper hand and put up a valiant fight instead of getting dead because, well, that's how comic books work, baby. During the scraps, the Star-Spangled Kid is blasted through a wall, and the fight spills out onto the ball field of Gotham Stadium. Number one orders the blaster carriers brought forward, and these keen-looking tanks that look a lot like a cross between like a Jedi Starfighter and a Zamboni <laughs> advance onto the, onto the field and add our heroes. That's great. Don't they? I think yes. they do. The Star-Spangled Kid plays Team Martyr, to allow his non-superpowered pals to get away and hopefully summon some help, 
Wildcat tries, but as is par for the course with these guys lately, everyone has more important things uh, going on than to, like, save the world or some stupid <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> there is a brief scene of Alan Scott receiving some on-the-job training uh, uh, from Jay Garrick as the newest employee of the Keystone Research Labs. There's a second diversion to Salem, Massachusetts, where fate again abandons his scared shitless spouse uh, with little more than a fare thee well. Uh, Peace! (laughs) He's doing this shit all the time to her, and she's always like, please don't leave me here. And, uh, oh, by the way, in that last issue, (laughs) you you were talking about how she had been trapped inside the tower. And I got to thinking... How you know? What if they like had an outhouse, and but she's trapped in the tower. Though that would just suck. I don't know. The, then there are some places in that tower that you don't want to go. In. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. <sighs> you know, but really, there there ought to be a story where he returned from some otherworldly adventure to find like divorce papers waiting for him on the kitchen table. I think. I, I would... Fate was expecting this. <laughs> Fate is a fickle bitch. Um, so. And so's my ex-wife. <laughs> anyway, back to uh, Huntress and Wildcat. Uh, they are now at the JSA headquarters, uh, staring at the trouble alert and wondering why not one of these 16 other assholes can answer the call to arms. Wildcat confronts Huntress about her knowledge and skill with the machine, which is supposed to be a secret, and she very surprisingly unmasks. And she confides in Wildcat that her secret identity is the Batman's daughter. Wildcat cuts her some slack and seems perfectly content to accept the Huntress in a way that he never did with Power Girl. Uh, he continues trying to summon the other JSAers, and we get a great splash page showing uh, what they're all up to. And what's keeping them from answering the alert? Power Girl is struggling for her sanity in the pages of showcase number 98. She also looks like she really, really has to use the bathroom. (laughs) Hawkman and his wife are on an archaeological dig in the Nile Valley. Yeah, that's more important than saving the world. Superman is dealing with flying saucers over Metropolis. And Dr. Midnight, in his civilian identity, is ministering to those injured in a massive highway accident. Hey, Mike. Yeah? Yeah, can you hold on for just a second? Sure. I gotta, hang on just a second. I gotta do this before I forget. Let me uh, dig out my wallet here. See if I can find a pen. All right, here we go. All right, hang on. I just want to write something on the back of this while I'm thinking about it. Okay. All right. To whom it may concern, if licensee is found at scene of horrific accident, please ensure attending physician is not fucking blind. Sincerest thanks, Scott H. Carter. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. <clears throat> As I was uh, saying. Serious question, though. Yeah. Um, is that story with... The Earth 2 Superman dealing with flying saucers. Is that in Superman Family? I wonder. I wonder about that, actually. I, I, I honestly don't know. I don't remember that from Superman Family, but... Neither do I, because I have a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, but 
I was just thinking as as tightly as the uh, the continuity of DC was at this time. I was just kind of curious if that was uh, if that's actually happening, or they were just like, "Well, fuck it, we need Superman to be distracted." Uh, alien invasion. That would be my guess, only because they don't footnote it, and they seem to be pretty good with the footnotes elsewhere. You know, at this time, you know, like with the with the Power Girl thing, for example. So it seems yes. like they they would, but I don't know. That's that's a good question. It's probably worth checking into to see, because those. Uh, Superman. Well, let me see. He wasn't quite. He wasn't married yet at this point, though, right? I don't think that issue had come out yet. No. Yeah, because see, I was gonna say that I only half-ass paid any attention to like those Mister and Missus Superman stories because a lot of them, I just didn't care for the art with them all that much. So I, I tended to kind of ignore them a lot of times. Let's see how Clark Kent became editor of the Daily Planet. Oh, he's in a contest with Perry White. Isn't that interesting? You know who Perry White is. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so So. I didn't pay a lot of attention to those. But yeah, that'd be worth uh, trying to find out. Maybe one of our keen-eared listeners will will clue us into that whole thing if somebody knows. Uh, Let's see, where the hell was I here? Okay, so back at the stadium, the Star-Spangled Kid has been captured and is being photographed in preparation for being held ransom. Number number one reveals that their organization is... uh, is, Number uh, one. (laughs) He reveals that uh, their organization and its extraordinary arsenal is being financed by the Pemberton Fortune. Turns out that this number one guy is none other than Arthur Pemberton. He's the grown-up nephew of Sylvester Pemberton, and he's evil. Uh, This understandably upsets the Star-Spangled Kid because he is Sylvester Pemberton, and for whatever stupid reason, he failed to reclaim his identity and fortune after his release from Limbo in JLA number 100. Um, And I wonder, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I guess... It's because he felt that nobody would like believe that he was the same guy, totally unaged after what it was like a decade or more that he spent. In yeah, Limbo. I don't know, but you know, at that point, what the hell good is his secret identity anyway? So why not just have the JSA vouch for him with the authorities or whoever, so he could resume his life and get all his money and everything back? I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I don't know. Not really, but you know, yeah. Anyway, rolling with that punch. Um, Huntress and Wildcat return to the stadium, but it's too late. The bad guys with Star-Spangled Kid in tow are long gone. Huntress just happens to spot a lump of astroturf in the middle of the otherwise grassy field. And after calling a friend, Wildcat determines that there's only one place in all of Gotham City that uses astroturf. For Christ's sakes. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this was 1978. The whole fucking world was made out of AstroTurf, wasn't it? I mean, come on. Anyway, uh, this place is the Meadowlands, which is like the local like horse track. So Huntress and Wildcat arrive and surprise attack the bad guys where they're catching a meal. Star Spangled Kid is accidentally freed and revived, and together the three pals put an end to the strike force. Jesus, she just puts her freaking boot in that guy's midsection. Ow. <laughs> wow. At the end, 
Star-Spangled Kid announces he's leaving the group to get his life back together. And on the very last panel, we see an eerie shadow sneaking up on Carter and Shiera Hall. And that's All-Star 71. Ah, really good ending. Uh, liked it a lot. The um, Had kind of the, the same problem with the last issue is that sometimes the chins were normal and sometimes even on the Huntress, like on page three, you know, she's got that lantern jaw chin. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I'm really liking her costume more and more uh, every time I see it. I mean, I mean, okay, it didn't look good on that, you know, Legends of Superheroes and the Superheroes Roast. But I applaud them for using her as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like her mask. It's it's kind of Batman, but it's also kind of like early Catwoman, too. It reminds me a lot of uh, Batwoman, the, the one that carried the, the purse. Yes, you know Kathy what I mean. Kane. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I'm very. I, I I actually half-ass like those stories from the '50s, except when they went to the fucking alien worlds. But <laughs> you know me. Um, page nine. Is it me or does Power Girl really look like she has to pee? Yeah, she does totally. Or like she's. <laughs> I could be so rude, but no, I'll, I'll, I'll curb my my tendencies for this one. But um, yeah. And, and and was Jimmy watching like Grizzly Adams? Yeah, he's got he's got the full on beard and the whole the whole nine yard. Of course, he's probably supposed to be a lot older than our Jimmy, isn't he? Well, he's you know if he was like a cub reporter in nineteen thirty nine, so he's like fourteen and thirty nine. He's only gonna be. Let's see if I can do math at one o'clock in the morning. Um. He's only going to be like fifty-four, so he's still relatively young. Yeah, but that's old enough to to sport that that look, I think. But still too young to care. <laughs> um, that was really bad. I apologize. <laughs> I loved the twist that it was the Pemberton Fortune that uh, that's that was sponsoring the Strike Force. All right, but here's the problem with that, though, is that all right? Say instead of the Star Spangled Kid being the 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 hero that was captured say it's any other member of the JSA so yeah. when this guy starts in on his thing well you know we're financed by the Pemberton fortune you know then the hero's got to be like yeah so friggin what you know i mean <laughs> it's only because the guy on the table is Sylvester Pemberton that that entire scene even plays out the way that it does. I mean, and the guy doesn't know that. I mean, the guy's not bragging about that because he knows that that's Sylvester Pemberton. He just spouts it out there like, like it's important somehow, but other than to the star spangled kid, it's, it's not important at all. You know what I mean? I can see that, but yes, but still, I do agree with you that it's, it's cool. It, It was a nice twist to the story. Um, page 13, is that not like the sleaziest looking human being on the face of the planet that Wildcat is calling? <laughs> yes. I mean, he looks like one of those like old fashioned weightlifters, like from the family guy, bully had to give him a cauliflower ear that just went to seed either that or he's a pedophile. I haven't quite decided which one yet, but Wow. Smoking that big stogie, having that really hand... He's got a handlebar mustache. He looks like Ron Jeremy with a handlebar mustache is what he looks like. (sighs) Ew. Ew. The hedgehog? (laughs) The hedgehog. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, I, I am getting kind of sick of every time there is an emergency, none of the JS, the JSA has the better things to do. <laughs> That's crazy that not one of them could, could answer the call. What, what's really funny though is that they only show us four of them. I'd love yes. to know what these other guys are doing because, like I say, you know, you, you got Dr. Midnight, he's tending to hurt people from an axe. Okay, he gets a pass. Superman? Dealing with an alien invasion. Okay, definitely gets a pass. Power Girl, she's tied up and she's really got to take a piss. Okay, she gets a pass. Carter and Sierra Hall, they're in a fucking archaeological thing. Give me a break. These people will still be dead when they get back there, okay? So, you know. I, I assure you. Yeah, that that can wait, right? Well, no, you, you actually, no, wait. It's it's the DC Universe, especially it's Earth 2. They might not be dead by the time they uh, get this back is there. True. Yeah, this it is wouldn't sad. suck if they left, and then you know, like when 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 Ra came back and had his undead army, undead army <laughs> like pillage Cairo, and Hawkman could have stopped it right then and there, but he went off to help the Star Spangled Kid and Wildcat and Huntress, a girl he doesn't know against the, the 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 municipal sports league. I think they're a roller derby team <laughs> actually looking at their costumes. But uh no, it's just like, you know, Jay Garrick and Alan Scott, they left their costumes in a closet. Now, I just want to be the the cleaning guy that comes in there, he's like sweeping up, he's emptying the uh, you know, the waste paper baskets and all of a sudden hears beep 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 beep, and then another one. It's like both together. Beep 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 beep. beep. And he looks in the closet, and he sees the Green Lantern costume and the Flash costume, and goes, "Hey!" Right before Alan Scott snaps his neck. <laughs> I, I I have a, a comment on that myself. Was when I got to that page. Now it's not clear where this is. If this is somebody's home, if this is the business that they're at, whatever. It's their lab. It's, okay. It's Keystone Labs. It just looks like like somebody's bedroom, and you got both of their costumes hanging right together in the closet. It just looks it looks creepy to me. I don't you know what I, you know what I mean. It, it looks like maybe well, there's a little creep- bit. It would look creepier if the costumes were crumpled up on the floor, leading to a bed. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but That's... you definitely see where I'm going with it. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> It just doesn't look good. You know what I'm saying? Whether anything's going on or not, it just, you know, people are going to talk and, you know, close the damn closet door. Uh, now, here's another thing with the artwork that, again, I'm, I'm not trying to insult Joe, insult Joe Staten at all. But on page eight, when Helena takes off her mask mm-hmm. and she's sitting there, she doesn't look like that again for right. the rest of the issue, even when she's <laughs> in her civilian identity. I'm just kind of wondering. It seemed like every once in a while he would draw a cl- Like, she is not consistent at all throughout this entire issue. Sometimes she's got a lantern jaw. Sometimes she's got a pointy jaw. Mm-hmm. You know, she looks kind of styling when they're getting out of the uh, car. Mm-hmm. at the thing, and I love the fact that he goes, this is the place, princess. And she goes, my name is Helena, not princess, and I know exactly what we have to do, which is less combative than Power Girl would have been. Right. Where, you know, Power Girl would have been like, shut your, your chauvinistic pie hole, old man, <laughs> or yeah, I'll she, shut it for you. Yeah, she has to call somebody a chauvinist pig like every single issue. I think it was part of the mandate or something. <laughs> but, uh, 
I, I like the fact that basically on the last page, it looks like Huntress and Wildcat are holding this guy down. Well, well, Star Spangled Kid comes up to backhand him. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> You're right. They are. It does look like they're holding him. <laughs> You're all holding him. You beat the hell out of him. Oh, that's just wrong. No, but but a good issue. I mean, oh yeah. You know, just you know, not the all stars of the all stars, except for the Huntress, but. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think when we get into the stories over the next three issues, God, we're only three issues away from All-Star Comics being over. Can you believe that? Oh, that makes me sad. Makes me sad, too. But we got adventure. We get so much more to talk about. That's the great thing about this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like from crisis to crisis. I, I'm looking forward to the next, like, you know, couple years of the show. But then when we get into, like, the late 90s. <laughs> that's going to be the test of Jeffrey and I as podcast hosts. <laughs> Whereas with us, yeah, Infinity Incorporated doesn't really recover after the crisis, but it's not a bad read either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't. It's going to be a while before we get to anything that I'm going <clears> to <throat> consider to be a really rough thing to get through, because most of the stuff with the JSA is pretty damn good, or at least. You know, you, you can get through it fairly easily. You know what I mean? Even even when they do have their rough spots, but there 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 were a couple. But uh, I had just a couple of notes on this before okay. we move on. All right, this sort of thing. It, it's not really so much a criticism of this book as just when comics in general do this sort of thing. It, it's the old cliffhanger problem, you know, where the car goes off the cliff at the end of the last issue, but then in the next issue, you know, the, the hero mysteriously jumped out of the car and you just didn't see it sort of thing. Yeah. In this one here, they are surrounded by bad guys at gunpoint. They're outnumbered and it's point fucking blank, right? Yes. It's not like the guys have to take a minute to sight their guns and aim up and all that sort of thing. They're standing right next to them. Yet the Huntress still has time to go, hmm, maybe I can create a diversion if I grab this thingy off my shoe and blah, blah, blah. And she's got time to, like, reach down, grab her little uh, crossbow thingy, shoot one of the guards, and it's like, no. The moment she started to bend over, it would have been, blam, you're dead, you know? So, I mean, there's just not time to create these diversions in, in comics. It's like the countdown in comics. It's like, three, two, one, one. One. <laughs> right. One. <laughs> All right, another one. I, I'm I'm just like, I guess I'm just Mr. Nitpick with this. I really did enjoy the issue. You're Mr. Just, nitpick in general. Yeah, I guess I am. Why I like you. Well, I just so, noticed yeah. these things, I guess. But Okay. Wildcat. He couldn't have hit the friggin' trouble alert doohickey while yeah, like, they were still in the stadium. You know what? When I was reading this issue tonight, uh, you know, in preparation for recording this... When they were in the thing, I'm like, why aren't they hitting the fucking trouble alert? Why aren't they hitting <laughs> right. the fucking trouble alert? And they do. He does finally. I'm like, okay, at least because I was prepping my note as I was reading that. Like, okay, okay. One of the things I'm going to harp on is what? Okay, he hit it. But yeah, it's like, why didn't you do that five minutes ago, jackass? God, I wasn't really happy with them running away anyway. Now, I mean, I know the Star Spangled Kid told them to run away why didn't they just run away circle around the auditorium or you know the stadium rather and then try to just get at the bad guys from like a different angle or you know i mean they literally run away and leave him 
And for all they know, I mean, these guys are going to kill him. I mean, there, there's no guarantee that... <laughs> or do worse. Yeah. Because I mean, <laughs> as they're leaving him, he's being blasted by two tanks. So, I mean, it doesn't look to me like these guys are, are going to play nice and just take him captive. I mean, that's what they end up doing. But they could have just as easily, you know, wore down Put his Put a bullet in his head. Yeah, and killed him. So, yeah, they, I mean, they got they got lucky with, with this particular scenario with abandoning their friend. I mean, not that they were happy about it. They do, you know, say something to the effect of, you know, I really don't like leaving my pal behind, but... Oh, they were. They were. They were totally happy. They're like, "Thank God, we finally got rid of his." <laughs> God, I was so sick of him. All he would do is whine. All my friends are dead. Everything I know is changed. I want a tampon. I mean, oh. God. All right, here's my oh, last one. Such a mean drunk. <laughs> here's my last one for this one, but I think this one is a whopper. All right, as we've beat into the ground by now, nobody answers the trouble alert, which is really aggravating. However, I got to thinking about something today. Do they or do they not use the interdimensional transporter like every time they need to like borrow a cup of sugar or some fucking thing? Yes. So why don't they try to pull in some JLA members into this thing and help them out? I mean, if they really can't get anybody else on the horn, they've got a whole other planet of people to pull into this, right? Because the JLA's fighting real villains. (laughs) (laughs) We're busy. We ain't got time for your bullshit. I guess, but they didn't even try, or at least we didn't see them try, you know, on screen. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. I just, uh, I don't know. It, it seems like that's such a matter of convenience. Yeah. It's, it just seems like when they get something from Earth One, it's, it's like, it's like a couple issues ago when, you know, Dr. Fate just magically pulls out of his ass that, well, they must have gone to Earth-1. Well, how the hell did you figure that? Right, exactly. Seriously, really? What, what? Where is your? Where is the through line on that thinking? At the same time, though, I mean, you know, hey, you know, shit happens, so why not just, uh... <laughs> why not just have the, you know, like, Superman from... Well, because if Superman from Earth-1 shows up, everyone is going to feel inferior. Right. You know, it, <laughs> just one time I'd like to see Superman from Earth One show up and go, "Okay, you ask us, and I'll go home. I got this. I got this. It's okay." But, but no, 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 no. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need your help. Go, go back to your clubhouse. Don't you have some checkers to play? <laughs> Superman is such a mean drunk. All right. Where are we at now? Now we go on to we go on to the ads, right? Yes, yes, we do. What do we got oh, this time? Hell we yeah! We got a stupid BB gun ad. <sighs> yeah, I'm kind of getting sick of the BB gun ads personally. Mm-hmm. We got the uh, satisfy your meat tooth with Dracula eating a Slim Jim. Because <laughs> that's what Dracula's going to eat is processed meat. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. Sorry. Super this... sea monkeys. We got... What, are they especially big brine shrimp? <laughs> oh, my God. We've got a new, a dynamic new look for Shazam. I love that. I want these two issues so bad. It's Shazam 34 and 35, and I believe this artist is Alan Weiss, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is. And I want those issues, but God, they go for some wicked back issue prices. I swear. I have found that that is the case with the Shazam uh, yeah. series. It's it's like you can find copies of number one everywhere mm-hmm. because dealers held on to those. That that market fell through, so then they got released, and you can find number one in a, you know, in, in every fifty cent box from here to freaking Alaska. But you go for number thirty three because it was so underordered; they're hard to find. Right? Yeah, that was the problem with that. So, I mean, and I, I have the first volume of the Shazam Showcase. I can't get through it. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried so hard, but I can't get through it. <laughs> well, I just want 34 and 35 because, you know, for one, the art's spectacular, but I'm hoping it's the more, I don't know what you would call it. I, I was tempted to call it like the more adult Shazam, but the, it basically it was the Shazam that we got in World's Finest. I love that, you know, when Don Newton took over and everything. It, it just seemed like a, it was a little more... Not so silly, you know, not so slaved to the to the fifties goofiness. And yeah. I'm kinda hoping that's what thirty four and thirty five I'm pretty sure that story leads into that world's finest backup, if I'm not mistaken. But I like that stuff too. And one of these days I need to finish my uh my collection of that world's finest Shazam backup because that was some good, good stuff. You also have what is the incredible secret of DC's newest superhero, Steel, the Indestructible Man. Love this series. God, it's awesome. I'm looking forward to reading it. I really like his look, and and I thought he, uh, well, it wasn't him, was it? It was like his, what was it, like his grandson? Grandson, yeah, in the the JLA. Yeah, I like that character, too. And then we have the Wonder Woman epic, so unique it takes four artists, 64 pages to tell the tale. Holy crap. Be sure to read the ultimate Wonder Woman World War II adventure. We got naked Michael Landon again, trying to get me to look at his junk. Freak. But then, on the opposite page. (gasps) The most spectacular superhero battle of all time. Superman versus Muhammad Ali. You want to throw a Sunday, Sunday, Sunday? Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Okay, very good. You have to pay for the whole seat, but you only need edge. If you don't make it, you better be dead or in jail. <laughs> to quote The Simpsons. We have got to cover this on Back to the Bins, I swear to God. Because I think, I think, I suspect that there are many a comic book fan out there that laugh and snicker about this, but they've never actually cracked the book open. And if they did, they'd be amazed by how incredibly fucking cool that issue really, really, really is. Because it's a cool story. And it's not at all what you think it's going to be. Because you think it's going to be, oh, this is going to be really silly. And it's, you know, granted, it's saved by Neil Adams. Because if it wasn't for the awesome Neil Adams artwork, if somebody like, you know, forgive me, Kurt Swan for example, had done that, it'd be like, this is retarded, you know, but Neil Adams just brings his freaking a game to that book. And it's great. Cause that, that one panel, I think it's a splash page of Superman battered and bloodied and everything and bruised is just, 
you know, I, I hate to see my boy Superman all beat up, but it's a spectacular piece of art. It's yeah. really, really nice. What what they cut out of the book is when they get back to Earth and Superman just sucker punches him. <laughs> Flies him into space, throws him into the sun. Like, there you son of a bitch. He's not the sentry. That's not going to happen. Oh, but it should, though. Well, what's your problem with Muhammad Ali? Oh, nothing. Just, uh, you know, he beat up Superman. So Superman, you know, once he's back on Earth, back under the yellow sun and everything, says, all right, motherfucker, round two. <laughs> round two, fight! Maybe that would explain why Muhammad Ali is in the shape that he's in today. Maybe there was a round two that we never were privy to. Well, they're reprinting this. So that's going to be interesting. Are they really? Yeah, they're reprinting it in in the oversized format. Too. Oh, sweet! What like as a hardcover or something? Yeah. Or, oh, like digitally recolored the whole nine yards. Oh, so. I'm gonna have to check into that. Yeah. Now I have to ask you about this. Uh huh. Because you're a Legion fan. You're, you're yes, you're, I am. You are a much bigger Legion fan than me, but I think that just comes from the two different eras mm-hmm. that we were introduced to the team. Right. Um. Do you have this oversized Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes thing hmm. that follows the wedding of the 30th century? Let me see. What I wonder what number. Uh, well, we just have to check Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. Yes, you can find Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics at www.dcindexes.com. I really should go into radio announcing. Or not. Or bagging groceries. <laughs> or teabagging. Never mind. <laughs> oh, heartbreaker. I do not own this issue. That would explain why I don't remember it very well. I'm actually kind of surprised at that. Yeah, I thought for sure. I, I think I used to own it at one time. But yeah, I do not have that issue in my collection. That really shocks me that I don't have this one. Huh, I'm going to have to make that a priority. Because I dig those styling 70s projection of what the future was going to look like, threads that everybody's wearing at the wedding. That is awesome. Except Chameleon Boy, whose costume always sucked. <laughs> but I'm telling you, man, of, of all the eras there, there have ever been of people looking forward to what the future was going to look like, my favorite era was the 70s. Because the 70s... <laughs> I wanted to live in the future that the seven, even the even the post-apocalyptic ones were fucking cool, you know, like Logan's Run, you know, the fucking world's destroyed, everybody's living under an Epcot dome, but it was still awesome. <laughs> I want to live in that world. I don't give a shit that Washington D.C.'s all overgrown with poison ivy and shit. I want to live in. I want to live in Epcot, man. That was cool. It was awesome. <laughs> Get your own little pod car to travel around in. It's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. There you go. Exactly. It's awesome. Thank you. 72 pages by Paul Levitz and Mike Grell. I got to own that shit, man. I got to get on that. I can't believe I don't have that book. Alrighty, we have an interesting ad here. It has, uh, it looks like a like official letterhead from DC Comics at this time, and the bullet is in full effect. By the way, mm-hmm. we missed we missed mentioning when the bullet came in, but anyways, it says important notice: applications are now being taken for the following chapters of the DC Superstar Society: Batman, Black Lightning. 
DC's war heroes, The Flash, Green Arrow slash Black Canary, Green Lantern, Justice League, Justice Society, Legion of Superheroes, Shazam. I didn't turn into Captain Marvel. Shit. Uh, Superman, <laughs> Wonder Woman. Send a long stamped. <laughs> Why is that underlined? Uh, stamped uh, self-addressed envelope with your name, address, and the chapter you prefer to DC Superstar Society. P.O. Box 116, Radio City Station, New York, New York, 10019. You will receive a detailed application form explaining the DC Superstar Society, the items in your chapter's membership package, and your special chapter questionnaire testing your knowledge of your favorite DC superstars. Hmm. What the hell is that? Yeah, I never, I don't know anything about that. I wonder if that ever panned out at all. So I don't remember ever hearing anything more about that at all. Next issue, you get one that says, ah, never mind. Sorry. Peace. <laughs> That's the Let's running game. Let's see. What so. else do we got here? Ooh, we got a Daily Planet with an Answer Man column. Ah, are there any plans for a tabloid edition featuring Sergeant Rock, The Losers, The Haunted Tank, or your other battle stars? John Muse. Answer. There aren't any plans right now, but there is a Sergeant Rock Spectacular scheduled for 1978, which you should consider a step in the right direction. Hey, Chuck Sheffy, you own that? <laughs> My buddy Chuck loves Sergeant Rock. So, uh-huh. Is there any way I can get back issues direct from DC? You know, this question came up a lot. Yeah. Ask the answer, man. And sorry, we don't sell any magazines from our offices. You'll have to contact a comics dealer. Do you know why... It was actually one of the letters columns uh, in the 50s. They basically said, we don't sell, we don't encourage you to trade comics because it spreads disease. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, question, where is, well, you know, when polio was still killing people, I guess it was a concern. Um, question, where is Mike Grell? Answer, in Wisconsin. Seriously, though, Mike has been working overtime on the Superboy Legion tabloid, now on sale, as well as the Warlord, which he writes as well as draws. But now that the tabloid is out of the way, watch for Iron Mike's... Hey, he was the first Iron Mike. Mm -hmm. uh, Working our books more regularly. How long did Bruce Wayne train before he became Batman? The Batman, excuse me. Nobody has ever said exactly, but we should assume it was a number of years from the time his parents were murdered till till the day he first put on the costume. Uh, yeah. Um, sorry. Uh, could you name the members of the Justice League? Answer, Superman. Oh, sure. Super, sure's not a member. Anyways, sure, Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern, Green Arrow, Aquaman, The Atom, Wonder Woman, Red Tornado, Hawkman, Hawkgirl, The Phantom Strange. Why the fuck is The Phantom Stranger? He was like an honorary member for Uh, something he did for them. And I bet you most people would not be able to, to name The Phantom Stranger back at this time. Black Canary and The Elongated Man? Got a question for The Answer Man? Send it to Bob Rosakis. DC Comics Incorporated, 75 Rockefeller Plaza, New York, New York, 10019. We also have Batman Puzzled by Crimson Coffin. Where is that? Uh, right oh, on the, the page. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, I guess that means only one thing, sir. 100-piece <gasps> toy soldier set. Well, outside <laughs> of that. <laughs> oh, no. To- it's time for the hostess ad. This one is called Batman and Sable Lady. All right, I want to be Robin in this one for a very specific reason. Okay. 
Okay, let me see if I can try to do an impersonation of Ted Knight from the old uh, DC comic book, I mean cartoons from the 60s. The wait, wait, wait. Stuff. Before you get started, yeah. this has one of the best lines ever. And you got to see if you can spot it when it comes along, kids. So, so be listening. <laughs> Gotham City slumbers peacefully under the stars. All this quiet on the Bat computer when suddenly... Holy sirens, Batman! Burglar alarms all over the city, all at once! <laughs> we didn't even do- get past the I- first panel! I'm gonna do this. Okay, okay. <clears throat> Everywhere but Fur Plaza, Robin. You think? <laughs> right. Some evil genius is after those furs and thought he or she could decoy us away. Swear to me! <laughs> That's not in there. I just <laughs> thought I'd add it. <laughs> you like my Christian Bale impersonation? I do, actually. It's, it's, it's spot on, except I could understand every word that you said, and that just well, this doesn't is, this... happen in a Christian Bale Batman movie. That's from the first movie. It's the second movie when you really couldn't understand a goddamn thing that man was saying. <laughs> okay, okay, so then we see Sable Lady, and she's standing somewhere, and she's got all these mink coats in her arms and everything. She's saying, hmm, my lovely lovelies, you'll be mine, all mine. And Robin says, suffering Sable's Batman, the mink marauder. Alias Sable Lady. She certainly has great taste. But how do we turn the Sables, I mean tables on her? We'll use that great taste of hers to trap her with Hostess Cupcakes. Here it comes, kids. That's giving it to her on the old chinchilla. <laughs> I'm still stuck at the fur plaza thing. But, uh... Okay, and here's stuff you would hear in a line ever right there. Uh, actually, the next line would be one of the great, uh, greatest porn movie lines. Go ahead and read it. Go ahead. Hostess cupcakes. Oh, rich, deep, chocolatey. I love furs. <laughs> But I love this delicious devil's food cake, rich, chocolatey icing, that creamed filling, irresistible. Trapped by your own great taste, Sable Lady. Outfoxed by Batman and Robin, and the great taste of Hostess Cupcakes. You get a big delight in every <laughs> bite of Hostess Cupcakes. That's giving it to her on the old chinchilla. I'm still stuck on Fur Plaza. I'm sorry. <laughs> So not a bad place to be stuck on, let me tell you. Oh, my God. Thank God we're both married. <laughs> At least the plot to this one makes some sort of fucking sense, you know? Yeah, and Sable Lady, you know, she's got that kind of Adam West, you know, Batman villain feel to her. Right. Wasn't there, wait, what was her, Minerva? Right, yes, yeah. What was that character's name? I, I don't feel like going over to the... the the shelf and grabbing the great Batman bat book. Yeah. It was something Minerva, wasn't uh, it? Minerva mink or something like Some, that. It was, yeah, something it, like wasn't she played by like Joan? Con- no, that was the siren. God, Joan Collins was hot in that episode. You know, I will say this, you know, we, you can mock the Batman series from the sixties all you want, except for Eartha kit. There was a bevy of good looking women on that show. Starting and ending with Julie Newmar for me. Say you say that a lot, but I'm sorry, dude, I don't see it. Because I think part of the problem. Do, do you have a penis? 
I do. But it's, okay. You know, there's something you would the... never. Th- there's a question you never thought you'd hear on a <laughs> podcast ever. Hang on, I'll go get it out of the drawer to prove it. But no, I'm. I I think part of the problem is that she's in like one of the my least favorite Star Trek episodes ever, where she plays like the. Oh, Jesus, I'm trying to remember what the hell the plot is because it's been Julie Newmar. Yeah. She she's pregnant through the whole thing and like really nasty, skanky, sweaty looking because they're they're on this trek. She's pregnant with like this dude, this warlord dude's baby. Right. OK. And they want to kill her or some fucking thing. And Kirk and McCoy have got to keep her alive. And they march her all through that same desert set that's in like every friggin outdoor Star Trek adventure ever with, you know, the, the big rock that Kirk fought the Gorn on and all that. You know what I'm talking about? And I can't remember the yeah. whole plot, but it's just – that's what I remember her from. And she's just not attractive in that episode. I'm sorry. And and so okay. whenever that's you fine. say that Every about episode. her as Catwoman, I'm always like, yeah. Are you saying that Eartha Kitt was a more attractive Catwoman? No, I mean – Can you really say I that? I am not a fan of that show. It's, it's my, my biggest deal. I'm not – I just uh, – yeah, But wow. Terry Garr was on that show. On Batman? Yeah, she was one of uh, one of the three Mister Freeze's henchwomen. Oh, okay. So there you go, Terry Garp. And then years later, she would play Terry McGinnis's fa- uh, mother right. on Batman Beyond. So it all comes back to me now. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember what I said last episode, and we recorded that two hours ago. <laughs> My mind is a muddle. All righty, let's jump into that time machine again. Rip Hunter uh, left us cookies, though I, I don't really trust them because they say they were made by Vandal Savage and he eats people. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that one. But wow, December 1977. Oh, this was awesome. 77 or 78? December 77. Oh yeah, okay, December 77. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, that Batman cover is cool. Yes. Uh, 297, but Firestorm... He's being attacked by the village people. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> uh, Firestorm, the Nuclear Man number one came out. I love the initial series. I love Firestorm in general. Yeah. And that is such an awesome costume. You know, and, and seriously, I mean this in all honesty. If you don't like the poofy shoulders and the poofy sleeves, go fuck yourself. <laughs> um, Shazam number 34, we mentioned that cover before. Yeah. I love that Superman cover. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen this issue. It looks cool. Yeah. Who's um, the artist on that? that I think it? that's Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Yep, yeah. that's Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. That's cool. I'm going to have to track that down just because the cover is really cool. Okay, we got all-new collector's edition number C55 and C56. That's the Legion and the Muhammad Ali thing. Um there's a there's an ape trying to kill Wonder Woman on the cover of Brave and the Bold, which is just <laughs> interesting. Period. So yeah, that that's kind of cool. Uh, we got Power Girl in Showcase number ninety eight. We've got that. We've got a really weird Freedom Fighters cover where they're all ape like. <laughs> yeah, that I is love that. Bizarre. That's yeah, a freaky looking cover. Um, even though the costume, well, no, because they have three characters that actually have the better costumes of that. They have the crime syndicate on the cover of Secret Society of Supervillains, number 13. That's I really a cover. really got to see if there's a CBR of that out there. 
back in the day, that took me forever to track down that particular issue because for whatever reason, at the time I was trying to track that down, the crime syndicate was like hot in back issues and it was, it was tough to come across, but I, I did finally manage to locate it. Now I'm going to mention this one only because I know exactly what happens. Thanks to you covering it on mm-hmm. two true freaks, Superman family, number one eighty eight. Oh my God. Which sounds I, like the dumbest story ever. I was so, no, I'm serious, man. I was so excited when I got to that story because I remembered reading it as a kid and being like on the edge of my seat. I thought it was a great story. I was, I was all, what's going to happen to Supergirl? In, in, here's a really short synopsis. Supergirl does something. The, the Kandorian Council's like, you got to pay for your crime. She's sentenced to the Phantom Zone. As a kid, I was like all freaked out and really worked up about it. She's sentenced for like 30 days. It's basically like fucking community service. Yeah. And when I reread that as an adult just a couple months ago on Two True Freaks, I was like, what the fuck? This is the stupidest story ever because everybody is freaking out. I mean, they're trying to organize like a legal defense for her and they're jumping through all these hoops to try to defend her and and every it, it would have been easier for her to just say, "Okay, no problem. I'll serve my time. You know, I'll get a nice little vacation from having to save the world every 5 fucking minutes, you know, and I'll just enjoy my time in the Phantom Zone. 30 days from now I'll be out. No problem." And instead, they do this long, drawn-out story that makes her sound like she's going to the electric chair, for Christ's sake. It was really stupid. I was so disappointed that that story did not hold up from when I was a kid. Let's see what else we got on this page. We got Scalp Hunter and Bat Lash teaming up. I think, if I remember properly, that's their first team-up, I, I do believe. That's a good issue. We have another Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Superman cover with Superman number f- uh, Action Comics rather 481, which is it's a bird, it's a plane, it's the goofiest damn looking vehicle you will ever see. The Supermobile. Oh, I like Mark One. Yeah, I like this one. I'm more partial to the Superpowers version mm-hmm. because I'm looking at it right now. So mm-hmm. uh, it was a good redesign, but. Uh, I, I, I don't see any fault. I mean, it had it had a good purpose. When Superman has to fly into space and there might be uh, kryptonite, hey, <laughs> gotta... <laughs> now, I wonder why the Supermobile didn't come back post-crisis. I mean, granted, not in this form, not with the big goofy arms that came out and everything, but just a version of the Supermobile, seeing as how that version of Superman couldn't fly in space under his own power. So why didn't, you know, I mean, live out in space is what I mean. You know, he, he needed oxygen just like everybody else and everything. So why not give him a spaceship? You know, I really don't know. I think that honestly don't know. Would have been, would have been interesting. It really would have. I, I I agree with that. You know, like on the, on the animated series, you know, he just used the, the rocket. He only retrofitted the rocket. He came to earth in, and that became his vehicle for tooling around places. I thought that was a brilliant idea. Another really great Marshall Rogers Detective Comics cover. Yeah. I'm looking forward to eventually you and I are going to discuss that. And I so. don't know if I've ever gotten around to reading it or not, but I've always liked the cover on Super Team Family number 15. It's The Flash and the New Gods, and I think I think that's a Garcia Lopez cover, I believe. 
It's either him or Don Newton, but I'm not yep. sure. But is so it Garcia Lopez? Yeah, that is Garcia Lopez. Yeah, love that cover. I, I have that issue. I just can't remember if I've ever read it or not. But uh, yeah, it's really cool. I was never the biggest fan of all that fourth world stuff. And especially I, I didn't really care for it at this point with the New Gods where they all had their really, really weird uniforms. But there's just something about that cover I think is really cool. It was an interesting attempt to bring that uh, that, gr- that group of characters back, though. Because mm-hmm. really and truly you didn't... S- I, I still hold that while some of the series have been enjoyable, Jack Kirby was really the only one that knew what to do with those characters. Right, yes. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it. I'm not trying to sound mean towards Mark Evanier or Jim Starlin or John Byrne or Walt Simonson, you know, whatever. It's just in comic book form, it's just like DC held on to those characters and it was almost like they shouldn't have. So, but uh, moving on to if my internet connection would be okay. I'm having the same problem. I can't get okay, here to the we next go. page. We got January 1978. Let's see what we got going on here. I'm vamping for time for you, by the oh, way. Oh, I love this Jonah Hex cover because this is the one where I can't remember what happened. But something happened to his hands, and he he was all like, his hands are all bandaged up like a mummy. So for a while, he's kind of out of the gunslinger business. And this covers with somebody, you know, calling him out, hey, Hex, you know, draw type of thing. And, and Hex isn't able to because he's got mummy hands at the moment. So I want to see someone, uh, <laughs> he's like, draw Hex, and he just kicks the guy in the nuts. As hard as <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Justice League uh, of America 153. Oh, God, not Ultra. I Ultra. Hate I hate that yeah, character. He's, he's just plain the, the first superhero of Earth Prime in the ugliest village peopleist costume I know. ever. I mean, what? we live on Earth Prime. Can't we get a cool superhero? I mean, we got to get freaking Ultra. Um, Firestorm number two had Superman in it. It was uh, kind of a tradition back in the day that Superman would swing by your title, your second or third issue. Just say hi. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you knew, you know, what was going on. Everything's cool. We all good? All right, let's go. Uh, it's actually a pretty good story, too. Superman and Firestorm's friendship was always kind of cool to me. Yeah. That he took time out, uh, you know, basically of his busy schedule. Right. To, uh, to like, help the new kid out. And to recognize, you know, I got to get this powerful kid that can convert matter into anything he wants it to be. Let's put him in the Justice League so we can kind of train keep an eye on train him but keep an eye on him and train him so all right here you go i've got a uh, i've got a time saving tip for your scott's time saving tips okay any time that you see batman and aquaman together by jim aparo just fucking buy it okay because it's all kinds of awesome and well, at least this one isn't as kind of slash fiction-y as that one Brave and the Bold cover <laughs> where Batman's got him in a full Nelson and he's like behind him and it looks like he's trying to do dirty, dirty things to him. But. <laughs> dirty, dirty things. Now this one's really, really cool. This is actually an issue of Aquaman, Aquaman number 61, but it had Batman in it and they were going up against Cobra. And uh, I liked Cobra. I thought he was a cool, I still think he's a cool villain whenever he pops up from time to time. 
We get Secret uh, Origins of Superheroes looks kind of cool with Light Ray, Doctor Fate, and Black Canary. Now, do we need to? I was going to ask you about that. Do we need to address that in any way? Do you think down the road, or does a does a simple mention suffice since it has Doctor Fate in it? I'd like to read it and okay. then make a decision. Cool. So. Cool. We can come back to that one. One we will definitely be coming back to is uh, Batman Family number 17 with a bitchin' Mike Kaluta cover on it. Um, this was uh, the first of, what was there? It was like 17, I think 20 was the last issue of Batman yeah. Family. But while it lasted, you know, from 17 on, um, Huntress had a feature in that. And we'll be uh, we'll be going over that in sometime in the future. Uh, I always like this. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. World's Finest Comics number 250 has a pretty badass Jim Aparo cover. Yeah, I like that. I don't think I have that issue either, but yeah, I love the cover on that. It looks really cool. And uh, I like the Superman uh, where he's fighting the uh, the Parasite, Superman 322. Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Man, oh man, there are a lot of uh, a lot of horror and war. I mean, there was Yeah, really, I noticed that. Yeah. Well, this was during the implosion, so yeah, just prior, yeah, just prior to exactly. So uh, that that, that kind of makes sense. Challenges the unknown '86 with both Swamp Thing and Dead Man as members of the team. That's some cool yet really wacky stuff, but it I, I enjoyed the hell out of that. So the Secret Society of Supervillains is kind of neat. Got a Rick Buckler or Rich Buckler cover of uh, Power Ring. Superwoman and Johnny Quick of the Crime Syndicate going after Captain Adam. So that's yeah, kind of cool. I like that. So, I think this issue of Doorway to Nightmare, I think that's the one that I actually have. I was thinking it was number one, but I think it's actually number three now that I look at this. I think that's She's kind of hot. She's kind of hot in a creepy goth kind of way, yeah. I married a creepy goth girl. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. Um, no, no. I'll, I'll show you pictures of Rachel back when I first met her, where she was in full goth mode. So that Action yeah. Comics uh, 482 is a cool one too. Superman mm-hmm. versus Amazo, while Superman's in the you know, uh, Supermobile. There is a character I have never liked. Oh, come on, man! Amazo, he's got all the powers of the Justice League in one convenient one-stop package. He's cool. Okay, he looks. Doofy as hell, but he's cool. <laughs> I think that's where most of my problem is wrapped up in. Yeah, yeah, he he does he does look completely freaking ridiculous. But uh, yeah, he's a cool. Well, I mean, the way they they spun him on um, um, Justice League Unlimited, I thought was pretty cool. You mean as the Silver Surfer? <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, especially when he started hanging out with uh, Doctor Fate and Aquaman and Hawk Girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when, 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 you know, you know, when the Silver Surfer hangs out with Doctor Strange and Namor, it's always good. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'll never forget watching that episode where Solomon Grundy, Aquaman, and Doctor Fate had teamed up, and I and I realized about halfway into the episode, and I looked at my wife, I go, "Holy shit, it's the Defenders." I, I don't believe I ever caught that before you said that, but now that really? you say that, yeah, I do, yeah I it was the defenders, it. especially when Hawk Girl, because she was Valkyrie, right, and 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 Amazo comes in, he's the Silver Surfer, so they continued on with that. I never really made the connection, but you're, I think you're absolutely right. So, 
They fight Cthul too. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I guess Cthulhu is trademarked. <laughs> well, I think that's about it. Except uh, this issue is reprinted in Justice Society Trade Paperback Volume 2 from 2006. You've been listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. You can email the show by writing to talesofthejsa at gmail.com. You can find the show at two, yes, count them, two websites. The first being www.fortressofbailey2.com. You can also find the show and subscribe to it through iTunes at www.twotruefreaks.com. Libson.com. Scott has two other podcasts that he co-hosts on a weekly basis. The first is Two True Freaks, which Scott hosts with his childhood friend and former weightlifting partner of Lou Ferrigno, Chris Honeywell. Then there's Back to the Bins, which Scott co-hosts with a cavalcade of podcasting's finest hosts. Both of those can be found at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Mike has two other podcasts he hosts or co-hosts as well. The first is Views from the Long Box, which Mike hosts all by his lonesome for the most part. And you can find that at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's the From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor. That show can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Thank you for listening, and join us next week as we present more Tales of the Justice Society of America. Music